Good morning. Um, my name's Charlie. I'm the minister here, uh, one of the ministers here. And it's, uh, it's really good to be with you this morning. Um, as you know, we're in the middle of a sermon series where we're trying to take the helicopter up high and look at this grand story of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And we're thinking about how we look at and how we interpret and how we follow God's story through the arc of Scripture. So I'd like you to hold on to those two passages in your mind for a minute. It always has to go up and to the right, doesn't it? It's always got to be going up and to the right. doesn't matter what it is, whether it's, uh, whether it's profits, whether it's dividends, whether it's output, whether it's your, 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 your responsibilities and your role at work, it's always up and to the right. Sometimes we feel that in our families as well. Things have always got to be getting better. Things have always got to be improving, things growing, children's education always heading in the right direction, or marriage, or sometimes even faith. There's this expectation that it will always go up and to the right. A few years ago, I bought a piece of furniture from Ikea. It was a TV stand, and it didn't quite fit where I wanted it to, so I cut it down to size only to discover that actually it was made of cardboard. (laughs) Cardboard covered in a wood veneer. And as I cut through, and it is, it is literally pieces of cardboard covered in a wood veneer. Sometimes we buy so much into this idea that it has always got to go up and to the right that we slap a veneer on it to try to convince ourselves and convince others that that is always the case. You know what it's like. And in fact, I, I would argue, I grew up in Cheltenham. I now live in Sevenoaks. So I'd argue they're very similar areas. We live under a perpetual pressure to always seem as if we're succeeding, as if life is always heading in the right direction, up and to the right Sometimes we're tempted to slap a veneer on it to keep up that image. But that isn't the way life is, is it? It's not the way life is and it often isn't the way faith is. Um, My parents, you won't be surprised to know, were ardent socialists. Um, If you've heard me preach, you probably get, I get that kind of leaning from them a little bit. And they wanted me to go to the local comprehensive school Um, In fact, they put my name down for it, and then I sat and did the 11 plus, or the J4 as it was called at the time. Now, this isn't to blow my own trumpet, but um, I got full marks, apparently. I don't remember it. Thank you, Miles. Um, But anyway, the headmaster made the unusual request of of calling my parents in and saying, actually, your son did really well in this test, and he really should go to the local grammar school, because he'll get get better opportunities to use the gifts that he's been given there. And my parents you know, didn't really want it, but they, so I ended up on the bus to the other side of town, to Pate's Grammar School. Um, and I had a great time at senior school. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a school that in, it encouraged questioning, it encouraged exploration. Uh, my favourite subjects were the sciences, and I thoroughly enjoyed physics. I know that makes me a bit odd, but, um, but you know, Newton's laws, and I... I I thoroughly enjoyed physics and, and the sciences at school and, um, and the debating society. 
Chances to debate and question philosophy and politics and religion. And on Sundays, I went to, Beth, to um, Chant King's Baptist Church. Um, I have so much to be grateful to Chant King's Baptist Church for. It taught me a, a love of God. It taught me about the story of Jesus, his life, his death on the cross for me. I came to faith. I was baptised in that church. I have so much that I'm grateful to that community for. They taught me about the importance of community. Uh, love by casserole. <laughs> but it was also a church that discouraged questioning. That actually didn't give me the space to, to question the faith that I was being given. And I learned stories of Adam and Eve and Jonah and Noah and Elijah being taken to heaven in a fiery chariot. But not really allowed to question or debate them. So I compartmentalised my life as a teenager. There was school, which encouraged inquiry and questioning. And there was church, which I was extremely grateful for and loved and was part of a community. But actually you weren't safe to question. And I just put them into two separate boxes and they didn't mix. It has a name, I discovered later. In psychology, it's called cognitive dissonance. It's where you hold together two apparently opposing views and they cause you some, some tension, some intellectual tension, some discomfort. That's my family. Recognise them? You'll see them around. They're, not all in, they're all out of here at the moment, actually. They're in other activities around the church. Um, Holly is doing her IB at Seven Oaks School. For an IB hire, she's studying philosophy. A couple of weeks ago, she had to write an essay on three classic proofs of God and then three, ref three ways to refute classic proofs of God. And I helped her with that essay, and we thoroughly enjoyed exploring that together. Last week, she had to write an essay on, um, is belief in God illogical? From a philosophical perspective. My word, I haven't used my brain like that in a long time. Having to engage and help her with those subjects. Um, Sophia, the other day, was in school, and they have a historical timeline on the wall. And she came out of school, and she grabbed me by the hand, and she said, Daddy, are Adam and Eve real? Because they're not on the timeline in school. What do you say to your children? Because I want to be honest with them. What, what answer do I give them as a pastor, but also as a father, when they ask a question like that? Which is a good question, isn't it? That is a really, really good question. And as we read through the Bible, if last week Andy dealt with passages, some of the, some of the morally difficult passages in Scripture, um, what do we do with war and violence in the Old Testament, perhaps today I'm, I'm asking us, what do we do with some of the intellectually challenging passages in Scripture? Because if we're honest, there are some, aren't there? This story of Elijah that we've just heard read, what are we to make of it through our modern ears? Those of you that are teachers, what are you to make of it when you, you're encouraging your children in your classroom to question, to debate, to seek truth? 
And then we come across stories like this that, believe me, I don't want to do away with miracle, I don't want to do away with mystery, we're going to come on to that. But what do we do with passages like this when we wrestle with them in the Bible? Because I think it's important that we do wrestle with them. It's important pastorally. Because I know too many teenagers who've hit those teenage, teenage years of cognitive dissonance and just walked away from the church. Because they weren't given space to question or weren't able to work out how to hold these together. In fact, I know plenty of adults who've done it as well. Or missionally, if we want to share our faith with the world, how, what, questions, what answers do we have when people come at us with questions like that? How are we prepared to answer them? Um, I thoroughly enjoyed my time at Spurgeon's College. Um, I discovered a place where I could ask those questions. Actually, where I could go in to study theology, and I discovered that actually those questions had all been asked before. None of them were new. All the questions that I thought that I was going and going, oh, what do I do about that? Somebody from the Orthodox tradition had been wrestling with that for 700 years, and here's what they thought about it. And the Catholic tradition did this, and, and this is how we... And I I thoroughly enjoyed my time there. I found a space where I was allowed to talk and ask and answer questions. And yet sometimes within the church we're afraid of those questions, aren't we? I think perhaps, if I'm honest, we fear it might be a bit of a deck of cards effect. That if we dare to question one element, we fear that the whole lot may come crashing down around us. But I don't believe in a God who is afraid of our questions. I believe in, you know, the Bible says that Jesus is truth, the way, the truth, and the life. If we strive for truth, if we, if we strive with all of our being, I believe we'll be led towards the person of Jesus. I believe we have nothing to fear from honest inquiry and honest discussion. Actually, I believe it. God requires it from us. Actually, I believe it's how we grow as Christians is when we're prepared to have those discussions. Um, on our Tuesday morning prayers at, uh, and the staff team, we pray this. We do use a Northumbria community liturgy. Um, whoever's leading it that morning will say, who is it that you seek? And we respond, we seek the Lord our God. Do you seek him with all your heart? Amen, Lord have mercy. Do you seek him with all your soul? Amen, Lord have mercy. Do you seek him with all your mind? Amen, Lord have mercy. And do you seek him with all your strength? Amen. Christ, have mercy. We throw our whole selves into seeking God. So does the Bible have any tools that it can give us to help us in this journey? Is there, is there anything we can look for that might help us give, us, give us a framework to put this within? Well, yes, we're studying our way through. I know we're taking a very, very broad brush. I know this. We want to get to Jesus for Christmas, and then we're going to study the life of Jesus. So, so, you know, we've done the Old Testament in about two months. You can't do it justice. But I know some people who approach the story of the Old Testament want it to be like this. They think that the Bible is flat. From Genesis to the story of Jesus, it is flat. Now, I'm a cyclist. I like flat. I get flat. Flat is easy. Others understand that the Bible actually is a bit more like this. It's progressive, it's a journey, it builds on one idea on the next. That the people of Israel were learning about God as they went along. And that actually it's a bit, that's a bit harder. Actually I quite like, 
I quite like hills as a cyclist. Actually, isn't it always a little bit more like that, if we're honest? That actually there are ups and downs, and there are traps, and there's forwards, and there's two steps back. And actually the story of God's people that we have narrated for us in the Bible is not a linear flat one. It includes their struggles, it includes their failures, it includes their questions. And actually if we're to live in and inhabit that story, are we surprised when ours doesn't, ours is, is different? You know, we, we experience the same. We experience a journey that undulates, that moves, that, that is challenging at times. We occasionally have to wander out into the wilderness. A few weeks ago, we were, we were looking at the, the people of Israel and, and God had led them out of Egypt and he promised them the promised land. And yet the journey to the promised land was through the wilderness. And I know none of us want to go into the wilderness. We, we want to avoid it. We want to go round it. But sometimes the only way is through it. And actually God is with us through that. As we've been thinking about, as we've been reflecting in our singing and in our worship this morning. I hope you picked that up. That sometimes we have to want, and sometimes God takes us into the wilderness because he needs to teach us something. Sometimes we're uncomfortable. Who, like, who here likes being uncomfortable? Yeah, that's the response I expected. But you know, sometimes there is a holy discomfort that God takes us somewhere because he wants to shape us. And the only way he can do that is to make us uncomfortable with where we currently are. Does that make sense? There can be a holiness to discomfort on the journey. And it is my experience that God has been faithful. Because if I'm honest with you, I've had three periods in my life where I've experienced quite acute cognitive dissonance. Periods of wilderness very grateful to Rob. We spent quite a few evenings together over one period several years ago talking through stuff. But all that time, God is faithful. I think you can find a difference between faith and beliefs. My faith has never left me, but my beliefs have changed. Does that make sense? Things that I've believed have have changed. They've had to change. They've been challenged. They've been stretched. I, I think I've grown, actually. And during those periods of discomfort, God has always been faithful. I think faith and belief can be two different things. Julian of Norwich said this, first there is the fall, then there is the recovery of the fall. Both are the mercy of God. How often do we see the wilderness? How often do we see our questions as the mercy of God? It's very hard when you're in it, isn't it? But actually, maybe God is taking us on, leading us somewhere, challenging us, shaping us. And when we look back, we see with those eyes, both are the mercy of God. Or how about this? 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It can feel like a valley of the shadow of death sometimes. This journey of faith. But you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Have patience with everything unresolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves as if they were locked rooms or books written in a very foreign language. Do not search for the answers which, you could, not, which could not be given to you now because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps then, someday in the future, you will gradually without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. I love that. Who remembers these? Stereogram pictures, whatever they're called. Do you remember staring at them? Staring at that strange mottled image on the screen trying to work and everyone else can see it and you can't. Sometimes you have to stare through. Sometimes it's not what's on the surface. You have to be able to look through. And as you look through and as you spend time with it, it becomes clear. I think some of the stories in the Bible are like that. We have to sit with them. We have to live with them. We have to allow the questions to be there and not be afraid of them. Because in there, there will be spiritual truth because God speaks through his word, through the Bible, and it leads us to Jesus. But sometimes we have to have the courage to sit there and stare at it and sit with it. Talk about other traditions. This is an Eastern Orthodox priest. We see that it is not the task of Christianity to provide easy answers to every question, but to make us progressively aware of a mystery. God is, so not, is not so much the object of our knowledge as the cause of our wonder. I love that idea. That is Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, or a part of it. This is also Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Do you get the metaphor? Some things have to be experienced, they have to be lived, they have to come alive, they have to come off the page, they have to be inhabited. They become stories that shape us that change us as we sit with them, as we journey with them, as we study with them, as we live with them. For me, that is the journey of the Christian faith. And yes, there are times when it's uncomfortable and there are times we have questions and there are times perhaps we even have doubts. But actually, it's the journey that shapes us. And it's God who shapes us as it comes alive and comes from the page. And our task is to sit with it and journey with it and seek God in and through it, not solve all of it. Let's pray together.
Lord God, I pray for those people here this morning. And I know there will be some because I've sat there who find themselves struggling with this journey of faith because it throws up questions. Lord, would you continue to journey with them? Would you continue to hold them? And Lord, as we sit with sometimes our questions and our discomfort, would that become a holy discomfort, Lord? That you would take us on and move us forward and take us deeper into you. That as we inhabit your story, as your story becomes our story, that it becomes something alive and off the page, something that is lived, experienced, perhaps a mystery, but something that is transformative and shaping. Lord, shape us, change us, draw us to Jesus. In your name, amen.